From WDBM, East Lansing. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Our weekly news and storytelling program. Made by and for the students of Michigan State University. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Hello. And welcome to The Undercurrent. I'm your host, Sophie Sagan. You're listening to Season 12, Episode 10. Guys, we've made it to the end of Season 12. How crazy is that? After this week, we'll be taking a short hiatus, but we'll be back next year with more stories produced by Michigan State University students. But first, this show. The last one! Oh my gosh, we made 10 episodes this season, and that's so insane to me. I'm so proud of all of them and for all of our reporters. This week, we're taking a look back at season 12 and replaying the best stories. First, here's a story I put together about a local children's book author. It's a quiet morning in Rio Town, a neighborhood south of downtown Lansing. I can hear crickets and critters making noise in the grass, and colorful curtains hang in the window of one of the houses that I pass. Potted plants line the porch of another. This morning, I'm here to visit Rebecca Lynn Douglas. I make my way up the steps and knock on the door. Rebecca opens up. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Come on in. Thank you. I met Rebecca a couple years ago when I was interning at a nonprofit in Lansing called the Refugee Development Center. Rebecca was one of my supervisors, but lately she's been focusing on creative projects. And in fact, she recently released a children's book, which was the reason for my visit. Do you want to just like tell me about the book? Like what (laughs) is it about? Um, So it's a children's book, but I write books, I think, for people. And if they happen to be young, they can still appreciate it is kind of my approach. (laughs) So um, this one is called Salad. I wrote and illustrated it. It is a story about vegetables or salad ingredients. And it kind of starts off by describing each of the ingredients. And they're all kind of vegetables. And then we reach a slight caveat with the tomato, who is not, in fact, a vegetable, but a fruit. That's kind of the first little point of conflict. It's small, and then everyone gets over themselves. More ingredients are added, and the salad characters fight about it at first until they realize that they are each unique and bring something special to the table. Obviously, Salad the Book is not just about salad. It contradicts that old melting pot analogy that many of us learned in school. The one that says diversity is cool because even though we're all different, we just become one when we live together. But maybe that's not the best way to look at it. Later in life, I started to hear this rhetoric about um, the melting pot is wrong. The melting pot talks about assimilation, which is not an accurate representation of uh, our communities. It's better to use the analogy of a salad which um, is then kind of little bits that are mixed together. And what I love about a salad is that, yes, you can eat all these different things separately, and and in many cases they're quite good, but there's something about bringing them all together that just makes everything better. And as I myself, having been an immigrant, um, there was kind of a heaviness on my heart to push inclusion and to challenge this idea that the different was bad um, and that new was wrong. When she was very young, 
Her father accepted a fellowship position at Michigan State University. The transition was less than smooth, and to this day she still feels very connected to her birthplace. I was born in Namibia, which is a country in southern Africa. Um, that is where my citizenship is from. Uh, my family is South African. Uh, my, my father was born in South Africa. My mom actually was born in Zimbabwe. Um, my family's been in Southern Africa for about five generations, and so um, pretty well rooted and established in Southern Africa. Uh, and I, so a, a part of my identity, a part of who I am, is that I'm Namibian and I come from this country. I remember we arrived, it was November 30th, we arrived around midnight. It was colder than I ever could understand cold could be, um, and it really wasn't that cold. <laughs> That's like, in retrospect, I'm pretty sure it was like, maybe freezing. Um, but it was very cold. We didn't have winter coats. Um, I was very little. Um, I went to an elementary school in Okemos. Um, I had no friends. <laughs> it was not fun. Um, and then we moved back. To make a long story short, her family moved back to Namibia after their first immigration to the U.S. And then they stayed there for a little bit but ended up coming back to the States again after her parents were offered positions at the American church they'd been attending on their first trip over. Once she was back... And I had a funny accent, and I came from a country that most people couldn't pronounce and most people had never heard of, and many people didn't believe existed. Um, also, I was white, which was very contradictory to anyone's understanding of Africa as a continent. Um... And so I had a, I, I actually had a shocking amount of people tell me that I was not, which it's always very jarring. <laughs> I don't, it's, a, it's a unique experience to have someone ask you, where are you from? And then to tell them and answer that question and then have them be like, no, you're not. <laughs> and her struggles with inclusion peek through in her storytelling. Yeah, so it was just kind of these weird dynamics that I grew up in. And I think moving back and forth and kind of being in these different situations, I was always aware of being a little bit different. I think I just learned how to embrace some of it and just kind of navigate other parts of it. It just, it, it kind of shaped who I am and some of the stories that, that I want to tell and that I want to share. Because there is, there's a, a difference, I think, even between being okay with being different and, and having it be celebrated. Like that's a, it's a step up. So yeah, so celebrating that diversity. Fast forward, she's settled in Lansing now and very invested in Rio Town, that neighborhood she lives in. Over the last year, she renovated a home there and she currently sits on the board of the Commercial Association as the Business Development Committee Chair. She's put down roots. She's invested in Lansing, in Rio Town, in herself. But that's not to say that her past is ever going to fade away. It'll forever be a part of who I am. And I loved, I loved that element of like, it's like, a, it's like an ingredient, um, but it's not the final product. Back to the book. There's something in it for everyone. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we all feel like outsiders from time to time. 
And what better way to celebrate that than with some rhymes and some puns? Like I like the one about the tomato, where it's so each each ingredient is being introduced um, in the first few pages, and then it says, and then there is tomato. She's juicy, red, and cute. She hangs out with the veggies, even though she is a fruit. Um, and then she says, I am a fruit. I'm filled with seeds. Don't treat me like a leper, because when you think about it scientifically, so are apple, cuke, and pepper. Uh, you know, and so the friends all made their piece a salad sure to please. But wait, who's that? It cannot be. Is someone adding cheese? Um, in the last pages, just cheese cubes with really cheesy grins. <laughs> For Impact Student News, I'm Sophie Sagan. Up next, we're going to do kind of a combo story. Both of these next two segments aired in the same episode where the undercurrent team went searching for info about bees and other pollinators. We called it What's All the Buzz About? Uh, If you missed that one, feel free to go check it out on our archive on the website impact89fm.org. But here's the story. So the first part is by reporter Destiny Todd, and the second is... Taylor Halterman's report on the Bailey B team, but they'll be playing back to back. So it's not one segment, but two. But go ahead and listen. You're going to get a two for one. Um, could you give us your best B noise? Buzz. <laughs> buzz. 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 Something like that. Sure. Yeah. I'll give a... Do bees really make noise? I guess the wings do, because I don't think the bee itself makes the noise. Like, is the bee like growling or is, does it just like all right i'll just do it yeah Bzzz. that's why being nice there yeah how many species of bees do you think we have in michigan one i'm gonna guess five that sounds right to me my guess is seven um i don't know like 10 15 oh man like i said i'm not the most sciencey person but i'm gonna say 12 what would your reaction be if we told you there's over 450 I would say, wow, I didn't know that there was that many different species of bees. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a lot of different types of bees. That is crazy. <laughs> uh, that I wouldn't, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I didn't really have a, a real number in mind. So that makes sense. Yeah. 450. Wow. I did not know that. Usually I just see bumblebees or like little hornets or things like that. I would not have expected that. Do you think the bees are important? I do think bees are important. Uh, why do you think that? Uh, because bees are very vital to our ecosystem. Yeah, I think they're very important. Uh, from what I know, like they're super important pollinators. So without them, like a lot of like our like crops, like a lot of our uh, our flowers, our plants wouldn't survive. I definitely think they're an important part of of the earth and of our ecosystems. I mean, like I'm not scientific at all, but. I believe that they're important and that measures should be taken to make sure that they are sustained in our environment. Well, I guess it's like less of an opinion thing and it's more just like a fact that they uh, pollinate plants and they are pretty much essential to uh, the ecosystem and all that good stuff. So if you think about a jar of honey, it takes one bee their entire life to make one twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. So like you think about it, it takes 12 bees 
their entire life to make one teaspoon of honey and you think about how much is in a jar and people wonder why honey's expensive. So I think that's really interesting because like it just puts into perspective like how much work a bee puts into their life just to make the things that you use and like you just spread on your toast or put it on a peanut butter sandwich. That was Anna Julie, a senior at Michigan State University studying environmental biology and zoology. She's also the leader of the MSU Bailey Bee Team. Bees work hard to produce honey, and the team was able to see just how hard their bees had been working at their honey extraction event last month. We pulled two supers. So super is what the boxes are on honey, on beehives that you see. So we pulled two supers. They're probably between 30 and 50 pounds each. I'm expecting to get maybe five, four to five gallons of honey, which equates to about 50 pounds of honey. Um, so we'll go out to our jammer, which is a trailer that's USDA certified so that we can sell our honey to people. And we break open all the honeycomb on the frames, put it in a big extractor and spin it around really fast and whip all the honey out of it. And then the honey falls to the bottom and we can empty it out into our strainers, into our buckets to be bottled. And if you're wondering what honey extraction sounds like, it's a little something like this. The team ended up pulling around four gallons of honey, which will likely be for sale next summer, according to Abby Knaus, a sophomore at MSU who is a co-curricular leader for the B team. We do plan on having quite a bit since hopefully our hive will expand into two by next year and we will have double the honey to collect. The Bailey B team is a part of the MSU RISE program. RISE stands for Residential Initiative on the Study of the Environment. The program is headquartered in Bailey Hall and is a living and learning curriculum made up of different classes and teams. The B team has a hive on the roof of Bailey Hall, and they tend to two hives on the student organic farms. During the winter, we install things like mouse guards, and we wrap them in tarp to try and keep them warm. We check on them during the spring and feed them sugar and make sure that they're mostly disease-free. Things like varroa mites are a huge problem, causing things like hive collapse currently, so we try our best to protect them from that, and we also just use them to educate the public and educate our students about beekeeping. Educating the public is one of the team's main goals. So the goal overall is to raise awareness of pollinators, to teach people about beekeeping. It's something that's pretty easy to get into once you're It's an initial startup cost is quite high, but once you're in it, it's a pretty easy thing to maintain and encouraging students to be a part of it and to be interested in beekeeping will hopefully spread their knowledge to other people, which will spread it to other people and hopefully making this big impact in a small way to teach people about the importance of pollinators, the importance of our pollinator health. We focus a lot on honeybees, but we also do stuff with native bees. We've built native bee houses in the past. So the overall goal is to try to teach people and make build awareness for the importance of our pollinators to our food sources. This education is important to the bee team because bees themselves are important. Bees are very important. They are the most important insect I think that we have. The quickest and the easiest because we can have such big colonies of them, but our native bees are actually usually a little bit better of pollinators just the way they're built, but they are in such, in such small numbers because they only have single queen colonies or solitary bees. So they're really important too, but honeybees are the bee that we're able to domesticate and be able to pollinate massive fields of produce. They're the only insect that can that provides a resource that 
us as people can utilize, which is honey and wax. I think pollinators are really important because without them, we would have such a limited food supply. And as the population keeps growing and we're having things like food shortages, the last thing we need to be worrying about right now is an inability to produce the little food that we can to feed a growing population. The team's honeybees are actually not native Michigan bees. We have honeybees. They are from Europe, so they're not actually native to the United States. They're the only bee species that we're able to make colonies out of. There are some other honeybees that we can make smaller colonies out of, but not to the extent that we can with our honeybees. They're the only insect that we get a byproduct and we eat it, which is honey. They're great pollinators in that we can have huge numbers of them and we can put them in all of our farm fields and have them pollinate all of our crops. Then there's the native bees, which are usually solitary bees. These are your mason bees, your carpenter bees, your bumblebees, all of those types of guys. Bumblebees form small colonies in the ground, so they're also a colony bee, but everyone else is solitary. They usually use holes and like carpenter bees like houses because they like wood, um, but you can you can build little houses for them out of wood and drill holes in that it. They like little holes and it's just one queen. She lays all the eggs. Um, and takes care of all of her young and doesn't have like a colony that she watches over. So that's the difference between them. They're also excellent pollinators because they are the native. Uh, anything native is obviously like preferred for your native fauna, but they're also excellent pollinators. We just can't have them in large numbers. Though the bee team's focus seems to be honey, they also care about native bees and pollinators. Anna even created a wildflower pollinator garden on campus near Wells Hall to encourage native pollinators. We installed it about a year ago in October, and we did like a big event. We handed out packets of wildflower seeds to passerbyers so they could know what we were doing and also plant their own pollinator garden, hopefully. Um, and there's a lot of bees on it, which is pretty cool. So it's awesome to check out. It's one of the few patches of like true flowers that are really on campus, especially right now, late fall. It's a really nice, refreshing thing to see in the middle of a very green campus, but not as many like pollinator-friendly plants that are planted. So that was our goal was to increase pollinator-friendly habitats on campus since it is very green and there's lots of trees, but there's not as many like forage type plants. Those interested in helping pollinators can create their own pollinator gardens. Or if that's not an option, there are alternative opportunities. If you want to help the bees, uh, there are plenty of resources outside of us that you can look into, but you can always come and ask us for advice. Uh, what we most often recommend is joining the Michigan Center of Beekeepers, and they'll educate you even further. But you can also do little things like plant wildflowers that support pollinators and donate to research facilities. If you wanted to become directly involved with the B team, you can follow us on social media and we post about meetings and different events that everyone is welcome to. Any normal person that wants to help out bees can plant a pollinator garden, plant wildflowers in your backyard in an empty patch, take some of your green grass and make it into friendly habitat. You don't like the green grass is pretty, but you don't like it's not helping anything um, but your eyes. So why not plant pretty flowers and make it even pretty, prettier? It took me coming to Michigan State and getting the opportunity to put in like a pollinator garden to feel like I could do something. So if everyone on campus plants some seeds and they don't think it matters, but it matters when 50,000 students do it. So I think it's important to remember that your small thing that you do, my small pollinator garden, for example, matters in a grand scheme because if everyone puts in a little pollinator garden, if I inspire 10 people each week to consider pollinators, that matters. Anything counts, no matter how small that you can do. If you're an MSU student, you can join the Bailey B team. 
Or if you're just interested, you can follow them on their Facebook page at MSU Bailey B Team, their Twitter at MSU Bailey Bees, or tune into their B live stream where you can watch the hive on the roof of Bailey Hall. Reporting the buzz for Impact Student News, I'm Taylor Halterman. Okay, and finally, I hope everyone gets a kick out of this one as much as I do and did when we first did it. Even though it's thematically way past its expiration date for the year, Nick Saba put together a little treat, making for one of our most entertaining segments of the season. Um, I don't want to spoil it, so, you know, I'm just going to play it. Hello, my name is Nick Saba on Impact 89FM. This is a very special weekend that I wait for every single year. This is the 41st September 21st since September by Earth, Wind, and Fire first came out in 1978. For those of you who don't know, the song is all about remembering the lovely day of September 21st, and I thought of no better way to honor the song than to go around campus and ask all of you to help me recreate the music. I ended up with a result that makes sure you always remember. changing the minds of pretenders while chasing the clouds away our hearts were ringing in the key that our souls were singing as we danced in the night remember how the stars stole the night away Say, do you remember, buddy? Dancing in September, buddy. Never was a cloudy day. Ba do da ba do da ba do da ba do 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 ba do da. My thoughts are with you. Holding hands with your heart to see you. Only blue talk and love. Remember how we knew love was here to stay. Now December found the love that we shared in September. Only blue talk and love. Remember the true love we share today. Do you remember Badia dancing in September? Badia never was a cloudy day. Badia, say, do you remember Badia dancing in September? Badia, golden rings were shiny days. The bell was ringing, our souls were singing. Do you remember never a cloudy day? Badia, 
saying do you remember body dancing in september body never was a cloudy day body say do you remember body dancing in september body all the days were shiny days. Body, 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 Next time, remind me to only interview the Michigan State Choir. Thanks for listening. I'm Nick Sabo on WDBM. And that's it for Season 12. Thank you to all of our fantastic reporters this season. That's Taylor Halterman, Nick Saba, and Destiny Todd. Also, thank you to our station manager, Olivia Mitchell, our programming director, Amber Konetsky, and our general manager, Jeremy Whiting. And of course, thank you to all of the listeners, whether you've been listening for 12 seasons now or this is your first episode, thank you for tuning in. Um, This is usually where I would say until next time, but in this case, it's going to be until next year. You've been listening to The Undercurrent. And now a piece from PRX, the public radio exchange. The summer after I graduated from high school, I started thinking that people were out to get me. I was spending the night over at my brother's house. I can just remember like the TV was talking to me personally. And then I felt this pull to go outside. I went out in my pajamas. It was raining. And there was a church that was across the lake, and I saw a big cross, and I felt like God was calling me. And the best way to get there was to swim. And I remember swimming until I got cold, and I remember just getting on my back and floating. And the next thing I remember, the EMTs were pulling me up on a boat, just knowing that my brain could do something without me controlling it was extremely scary. I was put into the psych ward and things continued to get worse. Living in a cemented room with nothing but a pad on the floor, there was absolutely no hope. I was told that I was a lifer. I would lie there in bed and I would imagine myself doing my own dishes. Just having a sink where I could do my own dishes was a dream to me. I was finally able to have my own place 
and it was a shack. <laughs> but to me, it was the greatest thing ever. I had just started dating when I found you. Your smile just seemed so sincere. I could just see the teddy bear in you from the very beginning. You know, our conversations on the phone was just nonstop for hours. I just felt comfortable. That's what I lived for, was that call from you. And kissing you was just one of the most natural things I'd ever done. But I was scared. And I said, Craig, I'm starting to fall in love with you. And I need you to know, I carry all of this baggage. And if you stay with me, it's going to be some work. When you told me about that, I, I didn't give it a second thought. You said, Amanda, I will take care of you. And you have. But I think I tested your patience a few times. <laughs> there were nights that you would cry a lot. You didn't take your meds. And I can tell that you wasn't right. I remember you being on the floor and just crying and scared. That was, that was a rough time. But even though we went through those hard times, I truly believe that the things that we've been through together have made our relationship stronger. And as long as I'm going through this life, I just want to go through it with you. 